Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Even with all I know and have learned deep diving into grief, it can still be hard showing up for loved ones who are grieving. So I'm really excited to have discovered Grief Warrior. Sending a Grief Warrior box is a way that friends and loved ones can say, I'm thinking of you and acknowledging your grief. Each box has thoughtfully chosen items, including a journal, anxiety relief essential oil, and so much more. My favorites are the In Morning Badge, letting others know you're in pain without having to say so, and the Ways to Help Notepad, which simplifies asking for help with tasks like laundry or errands without feeling weird for asking for help. The Grief Warrior Box provides healing and comfort, and most importantly, it's a communication from you. Head over to agriefwarrior.com and enter GGG20 for 20% off your purchase of a Grief Warrior Box. Check our show notes for more info on Grief Warrior. Gratitude and Greatness explores the different ways we grieve, the gratitude that allows us to persevere, and the greatness we discover along the way, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. Leslie Barber worked for years in corporate America in a secure position with benefits. When Leslie's husband, Steve, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, she was determined to do everything in her power to keep her husband alive. When the cancer spread to Steve's brain, Leslie immediately took leave to take care of him. She utilized all her paid time off, including sick and vacation time. A co-worker of Leslie's dug around and discovered an obscure policy within their company that would allow co-workers to donate their unused vacation time. Her colleagues anonymously pooled over five and a half months, enabling Leslie to keep her salary and benefits. Steve died, leaving Leslie devastated by grief and alone to care for their young daughter. Had she not been gifted the vacation time from coworkers, she would have been allowed only three days of bereavement leave, which is the standard time that employees are allowed to take off work when a family member dies. Her husband died on a Sunday, and Leslie would have been expected to return to work on the Thursday of that very same week. Throughout the process, Leslie's manager stepped in to provide her with support and space, allowing her to focus on her family and her grief. Years later, she learned that a woman at the same company had a completely different experience when she was widowed. This revealed the inequities of corporate bereavement policy and how it is implemented. Leslie created Grief Warrior, a gift box that provides useful items for individuals who are grieving. She works with organizations and corporations to provide a more supportive workplace. I was surprised to learn that corporate America was so behind when it comes to bereavement leave and supporting their grieving employees. The idea that someone would have to return to work just days after the death of a significant other is insane to me. In addition to funeral arrangements, bank accounts, social security, legal, and financial work, it takes time, lots of time, and there's caring for children. 
And I haven't even begun to address the mental and emotional capacity of the grieving spouse. Who could possibly be prepared to return to the workplace after just three days? I didn't know how good I had it until much later. The people at my company, my friends, my colleagues, my leadership, they came out of the woodwork and they stepped up to support me in so many different ways. Many of them did it anonymously through this vacation donation policy that one of my colleagues found. I didn't even know that that existed. She didn't know it existed either. She dug around and learned that you could donate vacation to a colleague in need, but that it was all anonymous. So angels were in the shadows and they donated five and a half months of vacation to me. But that's not the usual course for most people. It's not. And it wasn't even, I don't think, the usual course at my company because this was not a policy discussed. It was a policy she dug up. But most people don't have access to something like this. So they are stuck adhering to the bereavement leave policies, which can be anywhere from zero for many people to three or four days. Only recently have a few companies like Facebook and MasterCard because of bereavement situations with leaders. Only recently have those companies even increased it to 20 days. There's still a judgment around it because it's 20 days for a spouse or a child. It's 10 days for a further relationship. So if you had like a a life partner, but you didn't have an official marriage, or what if you were in a non-conventional relationship? Sure. Or if you're a 22-year-old whose 50-year-old mother dies of breast cancer, or if you're a 35-year-old whose boyfriend dies, yeah, or if you're a 60-year-old man whose wife of 35 years dies, you're expected to be back at work at a very short period of time. There's a judgment. Another one I think about a lot is a best friend or for Mm. some people, a pet. A pet is there every day. A pet is their companion. There's no bereavement policy for that at all. And so we as a culture make a judgment on relationships and how long you should be grieving, how intensely you should be grieving. When grief advocates talk about grief being unique, I think that's what they're referring to. They're referring to the relationship and that you and I can't look at each other and decide how close or how not close you were. And so we try to generalize these kinds of policies. And it's really damaging to employees when you do that. When I I lost our family dog mm. and my manager called and insisted that I take the week off work. And I kept mm. saying, you know, that's so kind of you, but it's really more than necessary. I really am fine to come back to work. I'll, I'll take tonight off, but yeah, but I'll be, I'll be back tomorrow. Don't worry about it. And he kept insisting, insisting. And I thought that was just so bizarre, especially because he was sort of a kind of hard core nose to the grindstone kind of manager. And then I said, okay. He said, well, again, I just want to say, I'm so sorry about your dad. I said, my dad, you mean my dog? 
Oh my goodness. And then, <laughs> and he said, your dog, I expect to see you there tonight. And he felt generous giving you a week off for your dad dying. Right. So yes. Right. I mean, that's a good example of a manager who has their own judgment on when you should be back at work. And so often it really is up to the manager, but we don't offer training. We don't offer support to managers when it comes to how much time should you take off. HR doesn't even have support. I've had many conversations with HR leaders who say HR doesn't have HR to support. We're talking about really a company's responsibility to this. But what about people who don't work at a large company? Mm -hmm. As a culture, how do we look at this? And is there any legislation that helps us around this? As a culture, we deny death. We believe that we're going to live forever. And many of us live with that in our soul. We say, I'll be happy when I lose 20 pounds. I'll be happy when I have a million dollars. I'll be happy when I just do X, Y, and Z. We don't live today because we assume we will live forever. And so as a culture, we are denying death and grief is the thing that makes us feel the closest to death. When you see somebody grieving because a death has happened, you self-reflect often in our culture oh gosh, that means I might die soon. I'm not ready to deal with this. So I'm going to avert my eyes. And if I just pretend, then everything's going to be fine and I will continue on my path to live forever. Yeah, right? As a culture, by denying death, we deny life. We make it so that we don't actually live the life that we would if we believed we were going to die. And people even say, if I die, (laughs) okay, we've got one guarantee in this life, people, (laughs) just one. And that one guarantee is that you will die, right? Right. And even, you know, my kiddo, she was just shy of seven when her dad died. And people would say to her, I'm so sorry you lost your daddy. And she would say, oh, I didn't lose him. I know exactly where he is. He's in that box over there. And she would point to the box that was our urn. Just matter of fact, I didn't lose him. He died at six. Our culture doesn't want to talk about that. We do start introducing all this confusing, euphemistic language, particularly to children. Mm -hmm. And they know better. And it is confusing to say lose. No one's been lost. Well, and that's a whole nother type of ambiguous loss when somebody is lost. That's a whole nother world, right? Or when a relationship is lost or a relationship dies, that's its own version of grief. But when it comes to the death of a human or the death of a pet, we put judgment on that as a culture, which then infiltrates the way corporations want to manage people who are grieving back in the workplace. I read recently, WebMD did a study and found that 57% of Americans report being in grief. They report that they've had a significant death in their life in the last three years. That could be the death of a loved one. That could be the death of a pet. Either of those, 57%, another 20% are grieving the death of a relationship or a friendship. 57%. 
And yet corporations are losing almost $100 billion every year because they avert their eyes. It's puzzling to me. Where's the responsibility? Is it on us as a culture to get real about death and not shy away from grief? Or do we look to the corporations to lead? Or do we look to our legislatures to enact change? Yes and yes and yes. (laughs) (laughs) What I feel like I've noticed in our history is that corporations in this country are often the leaders. They're the ones in the Me Too movement who are making change. They're the ones who are trying, some are doing, but many are trying to broaden belonging and whole selves to work and bring diversity. These things aren't legislated. If we waited for the legislatures, we would wait forever. So oftentimes it's the companies that are leading it. That's why I want to focus on corporations because they care about retention. They care about employees. So they may step forward. We're curious to hear from our listeners. Do you have thoughts or reactions to something you heard in this episode? Or maybe you have an idea for grief, gratitude, and greatness and would like to share some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Links to contact us can be found in all the usual places. Or check the show notes. I've had some pretty unique working experience while holding grief which is to say that I've not grieved in quote-unquote corporate environment. What's that like? Like, what's it like to go back to work? It's anxiety-producing. I took three and a half months until I went back to work after Steve died, thanks to the vacation donation policy. And I had so much anxiety going back in because I worked for a financial software company And I was so afraid that I would go into meetings and people would be saying things like, well, should the website have a black trim or a white trim? And I would start screaming, but people are dying of cancer. Who cares? I only had space for grief in that moment. In those early months, I would even say up to a year, I really only had space for grief. For me, I just couldn't imagine going back into what used to be a normal scenario when everything was upside down. My husband was dead after five months. He was the healthy, you know, happy man. Like everything was upside down. How could I go back into a normal environment? I remember calling my VP a couple weeks before I was supposed to go back and I said to her, I'm afraid I'm going to be crying all the time. And she said to me, oh, Leslie, if you knew how many people cried in my office every day, you would know that this is okay. And I said, okay, but I don't see that. We need to show that. And she said, we're going to do that. She asked me what I needed. I advocated for myself for an office with a closed door, which I did not have before. I knew I needed to cry. She also went above and beyond and got me one near the bathroom so I could run (laughs) to the bathroom and cry in a stall if I felt like I needed to. When I walked in on my first day of work, my whole team came to me and they were all crying. Mm. And then I, of course, I burst into tears and was like, that didn't help you guys. (laughs) Like I'm trying not to. (laughs) And then I realized, you know what? Cry, just cry. And I would, I would sit in meetings and sometimes I would just sob and the meeting would carry on. Sometimes it would stop and people would sob with me. 
They're human. They're human. I wonder if them crying with you was permission to be who you needed to be at work. I wonder if actually starting off with that was actually a good thing. I think for me it was. It was so heartening. I couldn't control my emotion. And so I knew that going into a workplace environment where your our culture tells you emotion should be controlled, I knew that that would be scary. And ultimately what I learned from my friends and colleagues at work is that I didn't need to control my emotion. I'm a lucky one. I have made friends with a woman who works at the same company. Since I left, her husband died suddenly. And she has a different manager, different leader, different group, very different experience. And it's because her manager is not emotionally intelligent nor capable of understanding what she's going through. What is ironic about it is that he pushed her so hard that she ended up taking over six months off after her husband died. So when I was given love and space and support and acknowledgement, I came back to work after three months when she was pushed and prodded and forced. She ended up not going back to work for six months. And managers and leaders need to think about that, that over the long run, if you can acknowledge and sit with and give love to and give recognition to a grieving person, you will help them be able to heal and be able to move forward and learn how to carry their grief in a faster, more efficient way than if you don't. I see that over and over and over again. I mean, do you think people get fired? It's a scary situation. We know that grief has a very physical and emotional effect on humans. We know that. Many grieving people talk about the fogginess in the brain. Yeah. Some psychiatrists talk about how you're actually in an incredibly heightened state of stress for up to six months. You don't even start PTSD for six months. The unbelievable stress and pressure, the anxiety of a partner dying or a child dying and your whole future and everything has changed, it's so much on the griever. And I want people to acknowledge that. And yet I also fear that if they believe this person can no longer be productive in the same way, that that person's job could be at risk. There will be some managers where that's the case. That is why over time, we will need legislation to protect people who are grieving. Oregon is one of the few states that protects the job of a parent whose child dies. There are only two states that that have legislated that. We need 50 states doing that. I'm proud to live in Oregon because of that and many other reasons, but we need 50 states who believe that. I think about how the stress that a person's in also knowing that particularly if you lose a spouse, like, oh my gosh, I'm now the only breadwinner. So you talk about that anxiety just compacted by that knowledge. And so you have to produce, you have to be able to show up to work. The stress that that creates on top of all the other stress of having to uh, reintegrate back into the workplace. I could see how a lot of people push down their grief and don't even address it because they feel like they can't. And so often, if it's a husband who dies and the wife 
has not been working outside the home, um, oftentimes this can be very financially detrimental to women. At the least, if he's running all of the finances and has all the passwords, it can take months to figure out how to access money. Life insurance came to us within a couple of weeks. If I had been in the situation where I had been financially destitute, I would have at least had sofas to sleep on for a little while. This is a very serious, very real problem. I have so many people in my life who didn't have wills. This is really important. And many companies, the big companies, have life insurance policies that they provide. It's so critical to take those precautions and to be sure ahead of time that you're protected if the worst happens. Is it pretty routine for HR to point this stuff out to you, to say, hey... In the big companies, I think it is. Um, In the big companies, you're offered life insurance policies for a spouse and for a child. Having said that, though, you know, HR was not present in my experience. I even got a call about a year and a half after Steve died from one of our HR leaders, and she apologized to me for the fact that they had not been as present with me as they could have been. That's incredible. It was pretty amazing. And I accepted that apology because we have to learn these things. I know for myself that before Steve died, I lived in that future. I would not have had that capacity to bear witness to grief and to pain the way I do since he's died. So I really appreciated that she reached out. And HR People she works with in the future will forever have a different experience because of her. Right. I don't know about you, but I feel like with every tough experience that I've had, I've looked back and gone, man, how did I not see that before? And made a big change in how I do things. I'm a big Oprah fan. And Oprah says in every experience, there's a lesson. I walked in circles for a year trying to figure out what the lesson was of Steve dying. And I learned that there is no lesson in his death. The lesson is in what came next. Something we don't always talk about with grief is how financially vulnerable we can be. That's why it's important to have someone on your team that you can trust. My financial planner, Leslie Tyzak at Edward Jones, is that person. She looks at what is important to me when helping with everything from managing budgets, cash flow, and where to invest and save. I got to know her when I was setting up my kids' college savings accounts. She is someone I can count on to help me and my kids optimize our resources to make the best choices when it comes to preparing for our futures. Schedule a meeting with Leslie to talk about your goals. Her contact info is in the show notes. Corporations care about productivity. Corporations care about retention. Corporations care about employees bringing their whole selves to work and feeling like they belong. And grief is a moment where a company's culture and character and values will be put to the test. We show up as companies, as employees for people when they're having birthdays or when they're having babies, when they're adding to their family. If we don't show up when their family decreases in size or when they're going through the worst moments of their lives, that will be the true calling of the character. That is when a company shows its true colors. So companies have the opportunity to show up for employees in the worst moments. And I've heard over and over again from 
employees in those moments that when they did, when they showed up well, like in my case, when they showed up well for me, the loyalty that is built from that cannot be purchased by any other activity. I felt such commitment and loyalty to my company because of the way that they had shown up for me. When they don't show up for you, people leave because people leave managers, right? So if the manager doesn't show up and doesn't support you, people leave. And companies know it's much more expensive to get a new employee than to keep one. So corporations should care, not only for a financial reason, but they should care because they want goodwill. They want to show that their values will be there when you're going through births or when you're going through deaths. It's interesting to me that you've spoken about both companies and managers, how in organizations they can be so much disparity between the the decision-making within an organization. Most HR organizations leave discretionary decisions like grief, like how to support somebody in grief, to the manager. Ah. And sometimes in that moment, they'll try to provide support. But a lot of times the HR folks don't know what that support should be either. How can we bring more supportive culture to a griever who has to go back to work? Those bereavement policies, the leave is a start. What Facebook and MasterCard have done, moving to 20 days, that's a start. But bereavement is over years. You carry grief. And I can be brought to my knees four years later. Right. I really support companies thinking about some of the ways we've thought about paternity leave, where men can take paternity leave up to a year after the birth of their child. It gives the father more flexibility in making a decision on when that is right for them. We should do that with grief as well. You should have bereavement time that you can take over the course of a year. So how is that different from, say, like FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act? I don't know a lot about it, but it just seems pretty awesome. Where, okay, you can take time off for whatever family situation you have going. How does that not answer the need? So FMLA is unpaid. In most states, the federal FMLA is unpaid. I lived in California, so it paid up to a certain amount for six weeks of the 12 weeks. You go through paperwork to show that you're caregiving for someone who needs it. FMLA ended for me the day Steve died. Mm. So the day Steve died, it went into bereavement leave. So he died on a Sunday. I was expected back at work on Thursday. FMLA is over, even though I was still within my 12 weeks of FMLA. So Family Medical Leave Act is really meant for the caregiving of somebody in your family. It's not necessarily meant as a bereavement leave policy. I believe, and I'm not an expert here, but I believe that you can use FMLA maybe for caring for my child, for example. I might have been able to argue that. But you really need an HR person to help guide you through that. Right. Short-term disability is also a possibility if you can get a doctor to write you a note that you can't go back to work for grief-related reasons. What about health insurance? I mean, are you able to carry your health insurance with FMLA? No. So FMLA... That's crazy. Right. It does not require the company to pay your health insurance. I went on a COBRA situation when I was on FMLA where I had to pay now the full cost of 
the health insurance. And I have to tell you, it was so stressful because here my husband was dying of cancer and was in the hospital constantly. And I had to make sure that those payments went through. If they didn't, we could have lost our insurance. So the pressure we put on people in the worst moments of their lives is awful. It just, it doesn't make any, so it you, doesn't make any sense. So under FMLA, you don't have, you don't, you're not getting paid. You might not be getting paid. And you have to start paying out of pocket for health insurance at the time that you cannot lose your health insurance. That's right. That's bonkers. It's bonkers. And that's just during the caregiving process. Once the person has died, you know, it's kind of like our culture in general. People think, oh, time to move on. Back to my life. The person is dead. There's nothing I can do. And to me, that's the moment when we have to stand up for people. That is the moment when we have to show up with love and acknowledgement. That's the hard moment. Many people in this culture do not know what to say. They do not know what to do. And so they choose to do nothing. And that is the cowardly way out. To me, we have to take an effort. We have to, life is hard, but we can do hard. And think about how hard it is for the person grieving. Right. You have to show up for people. You just have to do something. Even if it's a mistake, then you say you're sorry and you try again. That's what we do in relationships. We have to show up that way, even as managers and leaders. Well, particularly in the corporate environment. I mean, that is community. These are the people you see every day. These are people you know about their lives. These are the people that you have a beer after work on Friday with. For many people, it's their closest community. Yeah. Some of my best friends were my friends at the company. And for many people, that community is so important. And yet after the death, you feel like you don't belong anymore. You feel different. And so companies have an opportunity to do something about that. I've launched a grief coaching program that will help employees when they are thinking about going back to work as a grieving person. We also do managerial coaching to help the manager when a grieving person is coming back in. Like if you're coaching a managerial team, like what do you think are the best ways that they can show up when people come back to work? Acknowledging the death, acknowledging the grief, Mm -hmm. not skirting away from it or walking the other direction when you see the person. Even acknowledging that you may not know what to say Mm. is way more helpful than no acknowledgement at all. When you acknowledge, you help people feel like they belong So that is the big one. Like if you do nothing else, just that is enough. I like a lot the idea of say their name. So Mm. telling a story. I had a lot of people from my work who told me how much they loved meeting Steve at the holiday parties and funny things he had said to them. And it just really helped. That means so much to me too, because I know that I spent so much of my life being fearful of bringing up my mom or talking about my mom because I thought I want to talk about her right now but if I bring her up it's going to sour the mood or people are going to be bummed and I don't want to be that person Mm -hmm. and so there were so many times where just an anecdotal story would have flowed easily for most people but because my mom was dead I held back so yeah I love that I love when other people initiate the saying of the dead person's name. Yeah. 
I mean, even like, how did you meet Steve? I love that question after he died. What's your favorite memory about your mom? Tell me about your child and what they love to do. It is really hard to ask those questions. If you care about connection and belonging, you must. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness was created by me, Sarah Shaul, and is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn with music by Samantha Jensen. Subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Word of mouth helps us find new listeners, so please leave us a review and let your friends know about us. More information about this episode and how to contact us can be found in our show notes and at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You'll also find links to follow us on Instagram, Patreon, and Facebook. Join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.